0: It's good to see all of you today. I uh, I realize today this is my first time in 10 years being here when ETV is happening. I've never, I've always, I was the youth pastor so far, I've always been, so I've never seen um what it's like when we like take a third of the congregation away or whatever. So, um, if you didn't hear, our high school camp uh, is happening. Our staff are there. Our students are going. There's um, there are 33 students. Um, it says 32 on your prayer. thing. they must have added one since we printed that. 33 students are there. About 25 staff. Um, they're they're in the heat. It is hot. It's hot, hot, hot in Thai Valley. I looked, I think it's supposed to be 104 today, and then like 102, 102. Um, So pray for that, because that is really, really hot. Um, They get to play in the river and lake and do other things, but that's that's hot. Um, We, uh, Matt, I was talking to Matt uh, a few days ago on the phone, and he said with uh, this, between Crestview, which is our middle school camp, and then uh, ETBR high school camp. We're actually needing to scholarship more students than we ever have before, um, and we don't fully know how God's going to provide for that. Uh, so if if you we you've already given so much to students, um, if anyone else wants to give, it would it would be used. We've never said no to a student. We've never let finances stand in the way. I know we're talking about our roof, which we're paying for as well. Um, I, I hate that you know I just feel like oh, we're asking for money and at the same time we're, we're not just asking for money you know we're asking uh, huge things are gonna happen this week in the lives of students right there there are students that are going to be changed this this week um, that's what we're asking for is he help help provide for that so um, thank you for all your generosity please pray Take take this card home. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day. Put a reminder on your phone. We, we need to pray um, uh, because God God's powerful. God's at work, and, and we want we want to ask Him to work in the lives of these students and staff as they're there. Um, if you need a Bible, we we have some Bibles uh, in in the back. There are blue Bibles. If you raise your hand, it looks like Sherry's going to be our. Our, our Bible, Pastor Outer. So uh, if you want a Bible, um, sure, I'll give that to you. And it's on page 894, and our Bibles were in John chapter 8. I'll give you a moment uh, to turn to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And again, that's page 894 in those Bibles. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen. My uh, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. I uh, I'm guessing many of you have heard of uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Um, if you haven't, um, Stockholm Syndrome is is uh, feelings of, of trust or affection felt in certain cases of, of kidnapping or abduction or hostage-taking, where the victim, they, they feel this emotional bond, this connection with their captor. It, it is a really bizarre thing in psychology. The... the um, the one who kind of made it the most famous probably is Patty Hurst in, in 1974. Um, she's the California newspaper heiress, and she was um, abducted by these uh, m- military revolutionists. And uh, she formed this, this bond with them, this trust with them, this, this emotional connection, um, so much so that uh, she started committing crimes with them. And then eventually um, she was caught. She was sentenced to prison for her crimes, but her defense attorney um, pled uh, the defense was that she not pled sorry. The defense was that she was brainwashed um, by by these by her captors um, that she was suffering from Stockholm syndrome. Which Stockholm syndrome was was a newly coined term um, from just about a year before in, in Stockholm, 1973. Two bank robbers uh, went into a bank. And uh, they ended up holding four people hostage. Um, and they were in the bank, I think it was about six days. And uh, during that time, something bizarre happened. The, the, the hostages uh, had deep, a deep, deep connection and, and, and gratitude. And they, they, they truly were grateful to the people that held them hostage. One woman decades later was interviewed about her experience, and she, um, they, they held the hostages in a bank vault, um, right? And so a small, small place for these four people to be held. And this woman happened to be claustrophobic, which I, I think it would be terrifying for anyone, but, but imagine someone who's claustrophobic being held in there. And she said that they were really kind to her. They let her wander around freely outside of the vault the rest of the story is they, they had a, a rope tied around her neck that, that tethered her to the vault. And, and yet she saw it as, as gracious that, that they would let her go freely uh, about the bank as she was tethered with this rope around her neck. Another hostage was told by one of the uh, bank robbers that the authorities weren't taking him seriously, so he was going to have to shoot this hostage. But he said to the hostage, I won't kill you. And I'll let you get drunk first. And decades later, this is in the '90s. This guy was, was being interviewed on the, on the 20th anniversary of this. He said he still felt gratitude towards his captors, the the way that they were treated. It's such a bizarre relationship here. I mean, who knows everything that's that's going on in, in the brain and emotionally there? But but this weird relationship between captors and and and, and those that are holding them hostage and are our relationship with sin I think is equally bizarre. The Bible explains that that we're, we're trapped in our sin, that we're actually dead in sin, and yet so often people don't even recognize that they're being held captive, that, that they're being imprisoned by their sin, that they're enslaved to sin. So Jesus wants the, the these people that we're reading about in chapter eight, and, and us today as well, to see that without him we're absolutely stuck in our sin, that that we're trapped, and and we need to be freed by the Son. Verse 30 from from last week, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So um, he's talking to these people now in, in 31. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So what is this, what's this belief that they have? Is it genuine, is it shallow, or is it deep? Will this belief last, because already in John, multiple times. We've seen people that have believed and yet this belief is is really short-lived. It it seems that it's quite shallow. So as this chapter unfolds, we'll see what this belief is really made of. Uh, I've got two different truth statements for today. We're gonna get to one right now. It says, true disciples of Jesus continue in his word since this is the way he frees them from sin. True disciples continue in his word. This is the way that that Jesus frees from sin. So verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus gives a mark of, of every genuine disciple. He says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And there's multiple phrases just in this little verse that I want to break down. So let's start with truly my disciples. If there can be someone who's truly a disciple, it means there are those who are fake disciples, right? We've got two categories, true disciples and, and fake disciples. I'm not even, there's a whole other category, not disciples, which I'm not talking about right now. But a fake disciple would be people that look the part, right? They, they, they speak like a Jesus follower, Right? They know the lingo. They know the right phrases. They might do the right-looking things, and, and yet they're, they're just surface-level disciples. Inwardly, they're, there's nothing there. They're, they're not real disciples. So today, this might look like people that, um, that think it's really important that you go to church. It's really important that you live a, a good, moral life life that that you 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 love your family well that you treat people well these good good things but that's not Jesus says there's fake disciples and there's true disciples problem with fake disciples is that some fake disciples don't even know they're faking it right they think that no I'm really following after Jesus and yet Jesus says no this is what my true disciples do they they abide in my word So today the question we all have to ask ourselves is, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I I a true disciple of Jesus? Jesus says, the mark of the person who's truly, uh, Jesus says, this is the mark of the person who's truly a disciple. This is how you know if you're a disciple. Do you abide in my word? So what does he mean by by abide in my word? Abide means to hold to, to, to remain. The life of a true Jesus follower is marked by this this perseverance. It's not a flash in the pan. It's not short lived. It, it's it's abiding in Jesus' word for the long haul. So ETV this week, one of the things the students get to do um, is go whitewater rafting. Really fun on the Deschutes River. Okay, we give them uh, PFDs, personal flotation devices. We used to call them life jackets. Um, so they get, I'm still going to call it a life jacket. So they get a life jacket, right? So they're they're safe. So they could they could float sections of the river and be totally fine. They're not going to hit a rock, nothing. They're going to be fine. But there are parts that are a little crazy, right? They're pretty exciting. That's why we do it. So we have a raft for them, right? And we ask, we don't phrase it this way, but we ask that they abide in the raft, right? They, they need to remain in the raft when we're going over you know class four rapid oak springs okay they they need to sometimes they literally need to hold on to the raft because the waves and the rapids are doing what they can to knock them out of the raft the goal is that the students make it the whole way through with us on that raft similarly following jesus it's marked by perseverance it's the long haul. The true disciple abides. The disciple remains in Jesus' word. They don't wander from Jesus' word. They abide. They hold to Jesus' word. Similarly, similarly, sorry, a spouse is to remain faithful in marriage for their life. They're to hold to the vows that they've made. When someone does not remain faithful in their marriage, we'd say, they're not much of a spouse. Maybe you would even say they're not a true spouse because they've broken their vows instead of abiding, instead of holding on to, instead of remaining in their marriage. Jesus says true disciples abide in Jesus' word. So what does he mean when he says in my word? It's all of Jesus' teachings. Right? Everything that Jesus taught, we're to remain in that. We don't, we don't get to pick and choose what we like. It's not like a buffet where you go, and yeah, I'm gonna have the crab legs, and I know that orange chicken looks good, but it never is. And those fish sticks, you might know the buffet I'm talking about. Um, Those fish sticks, they look sketchy, right? But oh, that looks good. Following Jesus, abiding in Jesus' word is not picking and choosing and gathering what we want of the things that Jesus said or that he offered. It's easy to be attracted to Jesus in a surface level way, to like some of the things that you know he said or that he did, I'm sure we all know people that, that view Jesus as, as a good moral teacher, maybe even as a prophet. I have a neighbor, um, uh, a, a good friend, who uh, he, he's Muslim, and he, he definitely respects Jesus. In fact, when I talk to him about Jesus, he, he kind of lights up, um, like I would expect a Christian to, only this guy lights up a little bit more. Um, there, there are things about Jesus that he really, really admires, that he really, really uh, respects. And yet when I talk to him, it, it's it's apparent pretty quickly that there are things that he, he makes selections of, of uh, Things that Jesus said and taught that he likes to believe It's not all of what Jesus taught. There are things that Jesus said that he completely rejects When Jesus says my word, it's the entirety of his teaching right it's everything the disciple is to remain, to hold to, to abide in the whole of Jesus' teaching. The disciple doesn't stray from Jesus' word. So if you you want to be, if you are a follower of Jesus, it makes sense to me that you would know what his word says, right? That we would actually read this book. Right? That, that we would read the word that, that, that has been given to us as it tells us about Jesus. We talked about this weeks ago, that, that all of this points to Jesus. So Bible read through people. We started in January. I don't know how you're doing. We're supposed to start Daniel today. If you're like me, maybe you're a little bit behind. Um, but I encourage you, keep going. Or, or if you started the Bible read through with us and you're so far behind, it feels like you're buried in, a, in an avalanche just start where we are in Daniel. None of us will even know anyway, right? Just just jump in with us. Get in God's word. If, if you've never even heard of this before and, and you just want to start, we've got information on in our info booth, but we need to be in God's word, right? If, we, if we're to abide in Jesus' word, if we're to know who Jesus is, what he's done, we've got to know what God's word says. If you want to know Jesus, you have to come to Scripture. It's, it's the clearest way. That we are able to understand who Jesus is, to know who Jesus is. I read someone this last week that said, um, Jesus' word refers to the sum of Jesus' teaching, which is summed up in himself, and all that he is for us as the crucified and risen Son of God. It all points to Jesus. So will you hold to Jesus? Who he is and what he has done. John, John's written a ton, but let me, let me just throw out a couple things, a handful of things that, that John has already said in this gospel about Jesus. He says he's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He's the eternal creator. Describes him as the true light that gives life. He says he's the word that became flesh, the bread of life. He's full of grace and truth. He is not of this world. John 20, 31 is it gives us the purpose of this book, and I know every handful of weeks we we read this verse, but I want to take you there again. It says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What we believe about Jesus matters. There's nothing else that matters more. What we believe about Jesus means everything. How deep. Does your belief go? Because we see people that believe in Jesus, and yet it's not long-lasting. It's a shallow belief so often. Chapter 15, we're going to see this word abide again. Vine and the branches. You're probably familiar with that. And Jesus, here in our chapter, he says, abide in my word. In 15, he communicates the same thing, but he says it differently. He says, abide in me. Right? The disciple abides in Jesus. We abide in his word. Verse 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, What what does he mean by truth? And that might sound like a deep philosophical question. I'm just asking simply, what does Jesus mean in this verse when he says truth? Because we could easily miss what he means by truth. The truth will set you free does not refer to the freedom of speaking true words. Right? There's a reality there that, that when I speak true words, there's freedom. And when I lie, when I'm not honest, I get entangled in my lies. It, that, is, that is true, but that's not what this is talking about. Jesus is talking about something so much greater than us just speaking true words to each other. Jesus himself is the truth. He's the truth that will set us free the person and the work of Jesus. So knowing truth isn't some intellectual pursuit. It's it's knowing Jesus. It's being in a relationship with Jesus. And I, I know we say, we talk about being in a relationship with Jesus a lot. It, not just our church, lots of churches. We, we talk about this relationship with Jesus. And so often I, I just wonder, do you know what that means? Like, Do you know that you can actually know God, that he already knows you and he, he longs to be in this relationship with you? It, it's, it's, knowing, it's knowing the good news that Jesus made a way for us to be saved through his death and, and resurrection from sin. Like, this is the, the ultimate truth. This truth matters more than any other true statement. This truth is a saving truth. The truth of Jesus The spotless sacrifice, the mediator between God and man is what sets us free if we'll trust in him. Luke 4.18, Jesus says, and he's quoting Isaiah, he says, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He came to bring freedom to those who are captive. If we'll abide in Jesus' word, you won't die in your sin. You won't remain trapped in darkness. You are a true disciple and you are free. In Jesus' words to this crowd, it's shocking, which leads me to to the next truth statement. Oops, sorry. Um, Those who are not true disciples deny that sin holds them captive and trust in themselves instead of Jesus. They don't don't see that they're held captive by their sin. And instead of trusting Jesus, they trust in, in, in their own ways. Verse 33 They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? The Jews are descendants of of Abraham the patriarch. And they have this deep pride as as the people that God chose as his very own. There's this sense of privilege. and, and, And this pride is dangerous This lineage that they have, they're so proud of, it gives them this sense of security, and it's really like a spiritual trust fund that they're banking on. They believe that they're spiritually free and in no way a prisoner. They view others as needing to be freed spiritually. It's others who need to be healed, but they themselves are whole. They do not lack spiritually in their view. They believe they're totally fine without Jesus, and I wonder, do you have that same sentiment today. Do you feel like you, you don't need Jesus? That, that you are fine without him? They don't know their need. They don't understand the desperate need that they have for Jesus to set them free from their captivity to sin. They they, they justify why they don't need Jesus and, and we justify why we don't need Jesus. You may not stand before Jesus proudly justifying that you don't need him because of your ethnicity. But maybe it's maybe it's because of how you're raised religiously, or maybe it's because you view yourself as a really good moral person. Whatever the justification is, it's false. And we get, as hearers and readers of this text, we get to look at these people and see the danger, uh, their pride, and, and their justifying before God, because they're enslaved. They hear Jesus say, I'll set you free, and they know that means that, that he's saying they're currently enslaved. And as descendants of Abraham, they don't see how they could be enslaved. And they're not talking politically. They, they, they mean spiritually. So already, we see that these believers are not abiding in the word, right? Just two verses ago, that's what a true disciple does, abides in the word. And yet these Jews, they don't like what they hear. At the core of who they are, there's this rejection of what Jesus is saying to them. And Their pride in what they believe to be true is keeping them from seeing Jesus, the word in the flesh. They're incapable of seeing their need for Christ. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Right? Truly, truly, saying, this is not an exaggeration. I'm not lying to you. This is reality, and this is vitally important for you to understand that everyone who practices sin is a slave to it. That the slavery you are mastered by is sin. That sin keeps you captive and sin is a vicious master. Everyone. Right? Not, not just Jews. This isn't just a Jewish predicament. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And The Greek for practices there, it, it, this means the one who does sin. That's everybody. <laughs> right? It's everyone. The practice of sin actively enslaves us. And, and when we think about sin, it's easy for us to see, like, okay, some sins are really evil. Murder, uh, stealing, sexual abuse. Like, we can, we can pin down and go, that is terrible. And yet, there are other sins that in our minds, whether we realize it or not, we think, that's not so bad. I'm just gossiping a little bit. Right? I'm just cutting some ethical corners at work, or, or I just have some thoughts in my mind that I don't act out on. It's, it's, it's just in my head, in my heart, no one ever, no one is ever impacted by it. But all sin enslaves us. It's, it's a cancer. It's a cancer that has already killed your soul. So every person without Jesus is a slave to sin, and and this this rubs the Jewish crowd the wrong way. No one wants to be a slave to sin. We all want to be free because we were made to be free, but they're blind, and being blind to the slavery doesn't solve anything. We need to know the, the state that we are in. We need to recognize that without, without Jesus, we're enslaved to sin. First John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Right? Everyone outside of Jesus is a slave to sin. A Christian is freed by Christ. He saved you for eternity. You are not held captive to sin. And yet, as long as we're living this life, as long as we're breathing, we still have to deal with sin. We still have to deal with temptation. Jesus has set you free, right? You are no longer dead in your sin, but we still deal with it, right? Two of of my heroes spiritually, Fell sexually. They, they, they cheated on their spouses. And both these men, I, I believe they're, they're, both, they're both true disciples. They blew it. Right? They, they played with fire and got burned. Right? Christians, because you're freed from sin doesn't mean you can flirt with sin. You know. You know the power of sin. You know what sin wants to do to you. We need to resist sin. And it is amazing that we can be freed from our sin. There are people right now in real prisons right, around the world, people in prisons that, that they're more free in that prison because they know Jesus than people walking on the outside that feel like they're free to do anything at all. When I think of slavery, I think of a very clear relationship between, between slave and slave. And, and master. And it, uh, the images I have in my mind of what I've seen depicted in our own country's history, um, that, that there's, there's no mistake about the relationship of sin. Sin is craftier than that. The bondage of sin can go completely unnoticed. Jesus is speaking with, with Jews that are slaves to sin, and yet they can't see it. They feel like they're totally free, and, and yet this isn't just a Jewish blind spot. This is This is an issue for everyone. Sin holds us captive. The relationship is is bizarre, that a person can be held captive by sin and not know it. A sinner can feel completely free to do whatever they please and in no way feel like they're a prisoner. Someone who who, who doesn't believe in Jesus might might hear Jesus' words that that to be free, we have to abide in him and think it's better to be free to sin, to, to be able to do whatever you want than to follow what Jesus says, than, than to do uh, what, what, what the Bible says. But there's not freedom in, in doing whatever we want. D.A. Carson says this. He says, True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. And is genuine liberty, because what we ought now pleases us. I'm going to read that again. True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. And is genuine liberty because what we ought now pleases us. There is freedom in living the life that Jesus intended for us to live. By being freed from our sin. Freed to follow Jesus. Everyone who sins needs to be saved from their slavery And yet we're powerless to do it on our own. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So Jesus shifts the the talk now to to the temporary position of the slave versus the permanent position of the son. The slave is powerless. The slave has no security. The slave has no rights. There's no permanence. The slave can be sold at any moment. They're at the whim of their master. The slave could spend their whole life in the same house and yet remain a slave forever. Whereas the son, the son has total freedom. The son can come and go as he pleases. He's still the son. He, he belongs. He has security, the, the security that the Jews in this passage think they have. The, the word that John uses here for son, it, it's, this, it's the word John uses every time when he's talking about Jesus the son, right? So, so we're not just generically talking about a son, we're talking about Jesus, the son of God. The son has the authority, the power to set anyone free. While the slave is totally powerless, all the slave can hope for is that the son would be gracious and set, and set the slave free. Fortunately, John 1.14, Jesus is described this way. He says... That Jesus is full of grace and truth, the very grace that the slave needs. Jesus is on a rescue mission. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Son is the one who has the power to set the slaves free. The Son's been given the authority by the Father to liberate the prisoners. If the Son sets a slave free, there's no doubt that the slave is not a slave any longer. The slave goes from no permanence, no rights, no security, to being completely secure in Jesus, to real freedom now and for eternity. Jesus is our only hope, to be freed from sin. Nothing else frees us from the sin that so easily entangles. Even if you don't believe in God at all, my guess is you you recognize that sin traps you. that that sin, sin has a hold on you. The things you don't want to do, somehow you just keep coming back to them over and over again. Verse 37, Jesus says, I know you're offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. He acknowledges, yeah, you're descendants of Abraham. But what they want to do is an, a very un-Abraham-like thing. They want to kill Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, outwardly you're a Jew, inwardly you're not. Paul has the same line of thought in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. He says, for no one is a Jew who is mere, merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter his praise is not from man, but from God, right? He, he's telling them, you're fake disciples. You look the part, maybe on the outside, but inwardly, you're a murderer. Your heart is held hostage by sin. Right? They want to they murder Jesus because they reject his word. They, they can't handle his whole teaching. They find something they don't like, and they rebel against it. And the temptation for us as believers is to soften what God's word says, when our society rejects certain things that Jesus says. It's easy for us to want to find back doors around those things, either not talk about them or say, well, Jesus didn't really mean it that way. My prayer is that more and more people will accept Jesus' word. We do no one a favor by reducing what Jesus has said so that it'll be palatable for them. In fact, we make it worse for them We need to hold to God's word. People need to know what Jesus said. Instead of softening scripture, we need to pray that hearts would be softened, that palates would be changed, to taste and see that the Lord is good, that Jesus is Lord and the only hope for every prisoner. So if you wonder where you are with Jesus, this passage gives you a good test. Does Jesus' word find place in you, or do you react like the crowd's? do in John. Over and over again, we've seen this in John, that the crowds reject something Jesus says. And John's been clear, you reject Jesus, you reject the Father. You reject the Father, you reject Jesus. Verse 38, I speak of what I've seen with my Father, and you do what you've heard from your Father. Jesus does and says what he's seen the Father do. And he says, you, you do what you've heard from your Father. But next week, Jesus drops the bomb on them. He says, the person you think is your father isn't your father. Right? And just imagine that. Right? Living your whole life, someone comes up to you and says, hey, the guy you think is your dad is not your dad. Right? next week we find out who their father is. I'm going to close with this. I have a friend that would, um, I'm pretty sure he would still classify himself as an atheist. Um, he, uh, he's a, He's a dear, dear friend. Um, he's a professor of philosophy over on the East Coast, and he said this to me a year ago, and I don't think I'll ever forget it. He said, the one thing I know the Bible has right is my problem with sin. And my buddy who does not, he, he wants to believe Jesus is real, but he doesn't, he, he just can't. There's, he, that's a barrier for him, he can't, but he, he, said, he said, I know the Bible's right, that I have a problem with sin. Right, my, my friend's a smart guy. He knows he can't outthink sin. Right? He, he knows he doesn't have the willpower right, to not be trapped by his sin. He, he knows he he can't be moral enough to escape his sin. He, he has no power to be freed from sin. He needs to be saved from his sin, and he's powerless to do so, and he knows it. My friend knows that there's no way to save himself from, from the power that sin has over him. He doesn't know yet that Jesus can do that. Many of you know the freedom that you have in Jesus. Right? You remember what it's like to be trapped in sin. The muck and the mire that, that, that is described in Scripture, you know what it's like, the freedom that you have in Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Jesus, I uh, I can't even describe the freedom that we have in you. Freedom that that can start today for anyone and and lasts forever. Jesus, would we be real with ourselves, Lord? Would we be honest, God? Would you reveal to us if we're really following you or not? God, I don't, I don't want anybody here. To stand before you someday and say, Lord, Lord, and for you to say, away from me, I never knew you. God, our hearts need to be yours. We need you to free us from sin. God, whatever stands in our way, would you take care of those barriers? Would you take care of those obstacles? Lord, would you would you free my friend from his sin, Lord? Would he, Would you help him to believe in you, Jesus, because he can't do it on his own, Lord? Holy Spirit, would you do that?